0: and get 10% off your plan.
3: If you have leadership who believes in e-commerce, what I mean by that is that they truly believe it in their bones that leaning in now will pay off down the road, even if it still seems small. And I often ask that of folks, you know, does your leadership believe in e-commerce or is this something you have to get them to believe? Because they're two really different things. And I think the most common shared experience is that we all may have some of those folks. And thankfully, at Hinkle, our leadership is largely made up of believers. And that has helped me along the way. I absolutely have had some success because of some of my more forward
4: looking leaders. Welcome to today's
2: episode of Brave
4: Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Uh, what's the most amount of time you've ever spent at a job? Are we counting dog years? <laughs> exactly.
2: The truth is the longest time I stayed at, well, not at a job, but at a company was when I was at 360i and that was something like 13 years. But my job before that, I was there for eight. I like being a lifer. I mean, with the exception of a little uh, hiccup at Comscore, but we're not going to go into that.
4: How about you? <laughs> Micmac is the longest, I always say, it's not only the longest company I've ever worked for, it's the longest relationship I've ever been in. I've been building this company for seven and a half years. Well, hopefully you
2: and Sammy will outlive all of it. <laughs> yes,
4: that's how I-
2: As my grandmother would say, until 120. I don't know why I just made my grandmother sound like she was from another planet. But I think that both of us are unusual in that way. Most of the people that we have on the show don't spend more than five years at a particular job, typically less than three. That seems to be the the way to go. And the only way to move up is to jump around. Like, what are you
4: seeing? This is for star talent, right?
2: No, we're only talking about shit talent
4: here. If you can figure out a way every 18 to 24 months to really provide your star talent with a new opportunity with associated pay bump, however compensation happens within those organizations, you retain those people. But if you can't do that, then they're going to get poached. Yeah, career pathing is one of those things where... The
2: individual will look at themselves and assume that their boss knows what they want to do with their lives and that they will roll out a career plan for them. And the manager assumes that the employee will map out his or her career for the manager. And there's just this disconnect. And I always say, you got to grab control of your career and don't assume that your boss can read your mind. But one thing that looks pretty remarkable, and I'm excited that we're going to hear from her more, is looking at the career of Laura Highland at Henkel. She's been at Henkel 16 years. Dog years, regular years, larva years, I don't care. That's a long freaking time. But the thing is that it seems like every job that she's had has been another stepping stone in diversifying her knowledge, influence, and control. And it's a good example of a company making an environment of growth central to the employee experience, not just central to the company experience.
4: Well, on that note, let's bring Laura onto the show.
2: Today, we have a rock star. We have Laura Highland, VP of e-commerce, Hinkle in the U.S., and at this point, I can say longtime friend, right? Can we say that? Are, are, yeah. are, are we at that level? Yes, I think so. Okay, good. You don't want to be in like one of those relationships <laughs> where it's like, I think we're friends and you're just like, yeah, we work together, but like, mm, I don't know about that. So we're good. Okay. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining
3: us. Of course. I'm so happy to be here, guys. I really am so honored to be on this podcast. I was thrilled when when you asked me.
2: There's going to be some serious knowledge drop today. One of the things that we have admired about you is that the combination of the great resignation and the insanity around e-commerce talent means that we've been seeing people that we know jump from job to job to job, go to on LinkedIn, and it's like this person moves and that person moves. And so in a world where all these people in e-commerce are jumping from job to job to job, you stay consistent and hang and as somebody who stayed at our last job for 13 years, hmm. I appreciate tenure, but I feel like I'm in the minority. So what keeps you grounded? What keeps you interested? What makes Kona work every day? Because you, I hmm. can just tell this audience, you're somebody that doesn't stand for status quo. It's not like you're doing it because you're lazy. So help us understand why do you stay there?
3: Yeah, I mean, it is a good question, Sarah, because I have been at Hinkle quite a long time. It is unusual. And and sort of why is that, right? It's because I've been able to have such diverse experiences. I mean, I'm naturally very curious and I love to learn new skills and new markets, and you name it. I've been really afforded that here throughout my whole career. I didn't take over the USC commerce business till 2016, but when I did, it was still quite nascent for us. And I was actually asked to build something from almost nothing. And it is so rare to get that opportunity at a big CPG. And really any big corporation. And so, you know, even if we think back before the pandemic, which I know sometimes it's hard (laughs) these days, but even before the pandemic, e-commerce was like a blink and it changes type of role with exciting development of retailers. I mean, I remember when even some of our biggest retailers were just sort of rolling out their click and collect service, for example. Also, lots of internal new ways of working. I mean, we were trying to solve things that no one in our company had ever done before. And so it just stayed so interesting. And there's just always been so much more to do. So I think I've stayed in a way because you you really never feel finished or content. And you always feel like you're at the beginning of every day and each year and each quarter. There's always something new and different. And really more so than any other role that I've had in my career, which has really been kind of the most fun. I mean, there really is a lot of fun to be had, even if there's also always a lot of pressure on e-commerce growth. It's been incredibly rewarding to be able to also look back over a long period of time and not just the past 18 months, but really look back over the last six years with our team, some of whom have been with me also a long time and really feel like, wow, we really built that. We've helped build this practice within Hinkle. And, you know, of course, we've had the support of the broader org, but we've really been able to make an impact in a big organization where sometimes it's hard to feel that way, but we do. We do feel that way. So that's been great and just really kept me here and kept me satisfied.
4: Well, you've taken it from a nice-to-have to to mission-critical, and you've probably experienced so much growth within the company, as well as with consumers. How has your team approached the massive shift in consumer shopping behavior during the pandemic?
3: Gosh, Rachel, I mean, all of us, everybody in the industry, right, almost no matter who you are, has really had to shift and think about how to change here. During the pandemic, shoppers really moved online, right? And we had to move with them. We really didn't see it as a choice. But the industry, remember, at the same time and still today, was really dealing with high demand and low supply. I mean, who can forget the toilet paper shortage phase? I mean, that was rough. (laughs) So we had to be smart about how we shifted. How rough was it? Oh, sorry. (laughs) It was
2: bad.
4: Toilet (laughs) paper (laughs) puns. That's where we're going.
2: Like a 90-year-old band.
3: Sorry, my <laughs> bad. My bad. As you were, <laughs> but because of that, like we had to be smart about where we shifted funding. I mean, you, if you were working in toilet paper, which I wasn't, you probably didn't need to be putting a lot of advertising against it during there was a period of time where maybe you didn't. So you really had to be smart and think about what and when did you add support, and how did you manage through your supply chain? How did you make sure you were putting support behind the the products you had? You know, Instacart was actually a really good example of during this time where the industry had this growing but still kind of minor player before the pandemic. And then they just broke out into a leadership position overnight, really in several weeks. And it was really clear that getting on these first lists was important. But I mean, outside of our team, there were a few people who really understood them or who were aware of them or really understood their critical role during the lockdown phase. So we had to really turn to education and turn to education quickly and also ourselves figure out, well, what what does that mean for our budgets, et cetera? And that education, not just about Instacart, but really the entire e ecosystem, it's really continued. And I think that's ratcheted up because of the pandemic. Back to your question, Rachel, you know, we do have a COE team, but we all work in e-commerce. I always tell my organization, everybody there, we all work in e-commerce. So like all CPG e teams I know, we really began ramping up our efforts to teach the organization how to fish. And I'd say that we're absolutely still very much on that journey. And I think probably most of us are. And really, at the end of the day, any company that isn't consistently learning and developing the space will organizationally fall behind. So it really is about almost creating like that learning agenda for the whole organization.
2: Uh, It's extraordinary. and, And I've been fortunate enough to see how the work that you have done cross pollinating has resulted in just a higher degree of e-commerce maturity. But you had it before the pandemic hit. So whatever you started doing in 2016 laid a really good, strong foundational groundwork. But how you upskilled cross-functionally is enviable, truly, and gives you a fantastic advantage in the marketplace when you think about omnichannel, And I think one of those things kind of comes down to there's a learning agenda, but there's also this idea of like educating people based on both the language that they speak, as well as making them feel either the pain of risk or the excitement of upside. Mm-hmm. So as more folks like yourself are in those c conversations, both educating and cross-pollinating, what lessons can you share from your experiences having done it as there are more people that admittedly, are further behind you and are trying to figure it out themselves. I will tell you, some of your competitors are probably
3: listening, so don't give away the farm. But but little tidbits, little tidbits. <laughs> I will say, first up, it helps immensely if you have leadership who believes in e-commerce. What I mean by that is that they truly believe it in their bones that leaning in now will pay off down the road, even if it still seems small. And I often ask that of folks, you know, does your leadership believe in e-commerce or is this something you have to get them to believe? Because there's two really different things. And I think the most common shared experience is that we all may have some of those folks. And thankfully, I think our leadership is largely made up of believers. And that has helped me along the way. I absolutely have had some success because of some of my more forward-looking leaders. There's always skeptics, right? I mean, that's healthy because challenge is good. It makes us better managers and business leaders and more scrutiny on our business just makes us better at explaining the dynamics of the market and really making more choiceful investments and things. So I have found with the C-suite though, when it comes to them, it's all about focusing on a few simple KPIs. In e-commerce and any business, you can go down the rabbit hole in KPIs. But what they really want to know is are we winning? versus our peer set, right? That's always a big thing. They're all usually very competitive people. So you've got to think about that. And, and I'm competitive too, right? Almost all of us working in this industry are. And are we well prepared for the future? How are we doing with our leading e-commerce retail partners, for example? And so these are the types of simple KPIs that they care about. Some of them might be online penetration or online versus offline market share, Right. Of course, those are more of like the result KPIs versus all the drivers behind it. But at the end of the day, your C-suite cares about results. And so really tracking consistently those KPIs and translating them into business success or areas of opportunity where you need to push further are the most important.
2: I think you're bringing up a very good point about the KPIs for the C-suite versus the KPIs for those who will be actioning. Because to your point, there's a ton of KPIs, there's a lot of data and you can confuse activity with achievement. Yes. And you can also confuse achievement with thinking that you're at the finish line. And you said it earlier, this whole idea of just not being content and just this relentless pursuit of so what now what? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important takeaway. It's great, like you said, to have leadership that believes in e-commerce. It's also important that the scoreboard looks different It's the same information, but presented in a way that everybody can do what's in their locus of control to actually do something about. So for your C-suite to get outcome-oriented metrics for certain people that might be sitting with responsibility for certain retailers... They have KPIs that are more akin to what's in their locus of control, like, you know, move the needle here, push this button, do that thing, Mm -hmm. whatever. And each group kind of learns what they should be doing with that information. So it's not a universal scorecard. It's giving people the data that they need to be able to be best at their job. And I think that's both education, but it's also just having the
4: mindfulness of who needs to see what and why. Exactly. Well, speaking of success, you know, Laura, you've you've had a lot in a short period of time at Henkel. As you know, most of our listeners have similar roles to you or aspirational career paths to emulate you. What have you seen as the key building blocks for success to support e-commerce at a huge CPG portfolio? Hmm. So that is a huge question, Rachel, and one that probably deserves its own podcast. And
3: so we can go into so many different areas. I'm going to focus a little bit on org design and resources because I think. If I look back, that's been one of the keys to our success. And it really is about, in the beginning, you've got to do everything to get leadership on board. Because without leadership, it's hard to bring the rest of the organization along with you. In some cases, you might feel like you need a little bit of extra credibility, and that's fine. You've got to remember you're not in it alone. So I brought in incredible experts from the outside and actually brought them into executive meetings with me and had them present right the opportunity, the best in class practices looking at our business, what they felt like we needed to do. And so you want to keep doing this as the market shifts, not all the time, maybe not even every year, but really think about those key points in your journey when you might need some sort of outside reinforcements. The next one was not just building your team incrementally. So not just being like, I'll do one person next year and one person next year, and maybe a little bit more funding. Sometimes that works, but you really need to resource your, your business to the one you want versus the one you hack with. And I think about the words of Wayne Gretzky, right? Skate to where the puck is going, not to where it is. And so what this means is that sometimes you need to make step change. Step changes that could be an infusion of people. It could be an infusion of money or both, because sometimes you kind of have to step up and really lean in and say, we're going to resource the business for what we want it to be two years from now. And then you've got to figure out what key functions actually should sit on your team. And this is going to vary based on the categories that you play in and how your organization is structured. Is it really just going to be a sales team? Is it going to be a COE? Or is it going to be a combination of multiple things? For me, it's quite a a combination. So for instance, if you have a high need to innovate packaging and products for online, you may want to include those types of people on your team, or you may want to include those types of people across your cross-functional team. And then you really need to determine also that internal external balance, right? So a lot of people, and I think it's right, when you're starting out or when you're building a smaller team, you can outsource. There's some really fabulous agencies in the industry that will absolutely help you, and they'll even offer to do everything for you if you let them. And my advice on that is don't, right? Figure out like where you need to bring them in to fill in capability and technology gaps that you have, but then really work on, okay, what are the skill sets I'm going to build on my internal team that's probably going to evolve over time? As it should, because the one thing I have learned, no matter how great your agency partner is, and there are a lot of great ones out there, but no one manages your business like you do. Nobody. And that is just the God's utmost truth. And then the only last point I'll talk about is reintegration, because that's always a big topic. Okay. We built the e-commerce team. Now, When do we think about like reintegrating these functions into the business? My advice is don't be too tempted to reintegrate them back into the org before the org is ready. And it's only up to you to determine when that is. I mean, e-commerce, while it's a lot bigger now than it was, it's still really small. And so when it's still really small for most CPGers, it still is going to fall to the bottom when it comes to priority. So that is one of the main reasons why it's still good for us, at least at this juncture, to still have a dedicated e-commerce team. Sarah, you wrote a great piece, of using a skiing analogy, and I just loved it. I'm a skier, so it really, really resonated with me. I'm on and, the money slope, so. Oh my gosh, I'm a terminal intermediate skier, but that's okay. I'm totally happy with it. I mean, I'm sure I'm butchering your article a little bit, but what I took away from it is if you have a team of black diamond skiers, and then you have a team of green skiers, and you want to keep going fast, you want to keep those important things moving with the experts, and then take the time to train the beginners But don't ask the beginners to win the race before they're ready. So it really has to be this like purposeful. When you think, okay, when is it time to reintegrate the business? You should be looking at that like 18 months out, two years out, even longer and thinking, how am I going to know that the day I reintegrate and everybody's, you know, Whatever marketing is doing content and sales are doing e-commerce sales and shopper marketing is doing all the e-retailer media. How do I make sure that all of those people are Black Diamond's gears when it comes to e-commerce before I do that?
4: Sarah, phenomenal analogy. I think it's just a lesson in org design in general for any business. Laura, you literally just took around 75 episodes of Brave Commerce <laughs> and said it better than Sarah and I could ever summarize, like the most important lessons right now for e-com leaders within CPG. It really was remarkable. Now, we, I got I to gotta ask you this last question, even though I wish we could uh, keep talking to you about e-com. What's the bravest thing that you've ever done?
3: I know. The question, right? Everybody's prepared for it and thinking about it. One thing always comes to mind when I hear this question asked on your other podcast, I always think, yep, that's it. And it is when I went to London for the summer when I was 20 years old. And here's what made it brave to me. I, I was looking for a new opportunity for a summer job. I wanted to live and work somewhere new. And I found this loose student exchange program in Britain. And my mom had worked and lived in London in the sixties and she's very independent minded. And so she was like, yeah, you got to do this. You got to go. So I actually boarded a plane to London with just enough money for a few weeks of living in a hostel, no place to live, no friends who were crazy enough whose parents would let them go with me. Somebody was supposed to, and their parents were just like, "Uh, no, I don't think so. And I had no job, literally got on a plane with just a little bit to get me through And, you know, I was all feeling, you know, I can do this, you know, whatever. And I walk into the program exchange office that day and I'm dating myself here. but There was a bank of telephones. It was in the city of London and bulletin boards with job listings and a bunch of strangers. And I literally had to go to the bathroom and cry. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? Like, I have no idea where I am. I'm in this strange place. I've never been here before. And I've got to get a job and I have, you know, so little money. And I think you know the punchline already. Of course, it turned out to be one of the best summers of my young life. And, you know, I met people that first week. We were all kind of in the same situation. Five of us, two guys, three girls from different U.S. colleges. And we rented a terribly sketchy flat near Earl's Court. It was like a basement flat. It was really sketch. And my roommates got jobs in offices and pubs. And I got a job working at Harrods Department Store, which anyone who's been to London probably knows Harrods, all the tourists. Oh, yeah. And I was a waitress in one of their 12 restaurants, and I made three quid an hour plus a little bit of tips. And they would let me take Dale Pastries home (laughs) to help me supplement my, my meager sort of food rations. And honestly, it was the most amazing summer that I will never forget in my life. I learned so much that summer. And so the reason why I feel like it definitely was really brave, but then it allowed me some to sort of think differently about some opportunities that came later in life. Like when I graduated college, this experience, I mean, I moved to New York City from North Carolina with like two suitcases and no job. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. And my mom also encouraged that move. (laughs) So she seems to figure very prominently in my most brave acts. And I would say that if you met her, this would not be surprising at all. I'll just close it out by saying that I think it was that early taste of living abroad that ended up encouraging me to go abroad with Hinkle, which I did for three years. I lived in Germany with Hinkle, and it's really experiences like that that have really fed my natural curiosity and really given me that opportunity to develop this like, more global view with
4: a lot of different perspectives. So for me, that's it, for sure. Love it. I love awesome. It. This episode's going to climb the charts. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: Thank you, Laura. Thank you for the generosity. Yeah, of course. Of course.
4: That was a lot of fun.
2: Thanks for listening.
4: Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts.
2: And don't forget to share this link with a friend.
0: Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company?